0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to Tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey. <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Warden's Watch Wild, where we talk to wildlife professionals. Brought to you by the Village Gun Store, Whitefield, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch Wild. In this episode of Warden's Watch Wild, we have biologist Alex A. Sarin. Did I say that right? Alex, I always mess up names. Some bad. Saran. Uh, you, pretty close.
2: It's Saran, like Saran Rap.
1: Like Saran Rap? That doesn't yeah. sound Norwegian really though. No.
2: So. It's actually Swedish.
1: Swedish, okay. See, no yeah. wonder it doesn't sound Norwegian. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and A and I, met when he was doing is it was it your PhD work, Alex, that we met on or was it your masters? Was your PhD work?
2: It was the start of my master's. Yeah, You're Starting started your master's. We've known each other for close to a decade now. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, uh, and Alex, a uh, worked on uh, some snowshoe hare and climate change, and indicating species uh, of what was going on climate change above twenty five hundred feet. Am I correct, Alex, with that? Uh, those the, on those higher elevations, I should say.
2: Yeah, you're you're hitting on a lot of it. Yeah, so we did have a lot of focus on high elevation populations in the eastern United States or eastern New- North America. A lot not a lot of research has been done on high elevation snowshoe hare populations or even high elevation carnivore uh, populations as well. It's mostly it hasn't been done because it's just hard to get into those areas. You got to hike into yes. those areas and it's much easier to 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 do research in the lowland areas where you can drive to places. So
1: yeah, yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. I certainly understand that after hiking some of those areas with you and uh, sending my son on the treks with you to check your your, your trap line uh, and stuff. That's so, right. Yeah, that was a yeah. lot of fun. He got a kick out of that. So, but I kind of want to focus on the, the the snowshoe hare and uh, their life cycle, their importance, and that, that's what I want to highlight. This Warden's Watch Wild about uh, is the snowshoe hare. Your experience with them their importance population increase and decrease and you know how how important they are to us
2: yeah absolutely yeah snowshoe hares are often called the candy of the woods at least for the carnivores that are out there they are really important species for um, carnivore populations for um, keeping them on the landscape and when their populations uh, kind of decline carnivore populations to to decline as well they're really inextricably linked to the Canada lynx that's you know one of the most important uh, prey species for the Canada lynx is the snowshoe hare and their researchers have studied lynx and snowshoe hare population cycles for the past 100 years and a lot of the data that came from from that was from fur bear trapping in, in Canada and being able to, to 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 identify these cycles and so yeah, for snowshoe hares, they also influence uh, forest growth as well. Um, forests are cut, you know, they really like more early, young, younger forests, forest, early successional younger forests. And so they you know, require these areas with real thick, thick cover um, from protection from predators, but also for to kind of stay warm during the wintertime. And also it provides food in a lot of those areas where you have a lot of that young growth coming up. And so they can be eating the the twigs and the buds from the, from a lot of the trees that are emerging in the shrubs. And so they get a lot of food from it. And so in from eating it, just like moose, you know, they, when they're eating these, you know, these young trees, it also influences how forests regrow. Moose have more of an impact than snowshoe hare, but snowshoe hares can definitely have an impact on them. And so they're, as the name, you know, most folks would know that as the name implies, it's a snowshoe hare. And so they're really adapted for snow, for deep snow areas. They Change their coat color seasonally. So, well, most do. New research has shown some of these more southern populations um, have either introgressed, means they've interbred with some jackrabbits in the, in the northwest. They stay brown all year round. Or in the, in the northeast, there's some populations in Pennsylvania that remain brown all year round as well. And um, there's no introgression going on there and maybe it's just some sort of a mutation or adaptation to the local environments that have become more snow, snowless over the past hundred years. But yeah, that change in coat color from brown during the summer to white during the wintertime really helps them kind of stay camouflaged and blend in with the environments. And it's one of those um, strategies that life history strategies that allows them to survive Then they have these really light bone density and really large feet that allows them to stay on top of the snow in really deep snow environments. But those are really kind of key kind of like traits that they have that uh, allow, that allow them to live in really deep snow areas. So the work that we've done over the past 10 years, including most of the work that was originally done out West, really shows that these especially shorter winters and longer falls when there's fewer days of snow on the ground. Snowshoe hares, they change their coat color, but if there's no snow on the ground and they're white, they really stick out like a sore thumb, mm-hmm. and they're more susceptible to be become predated upon by carnivores or predators, such like avian predators, like hawks and owls and stuff like that.
1: And people, yeah. too. And as-
2: people, exactly, mm-hmm. yes.
1: You know? I know some of the hunters kind of like to go stalking at that point, uh, seeing those hairs <laughs> stick out really
2: good. I almost feel like I don't want to hunt during that time of the year because I it's just kind of feel like unfair, it's too isn't easy. it? <laughs> it is, exactly. Yeah. There was one December I just didn't really hunt because I was like, this is too easy.
1: Yeah. No. Not not fair when you can see them standing out like that, and they don't. They have a tendency not to think that you can see them because they're one of their other defenses is not to move until it's too late, I guess you could say. But you know, even as they get closer, if they don't think they're being seen, I mean, I've, I've got within three feet of them and they still won't move, thinking they're yeah. invisible. And that's, that's also something that's built into them as well, isn't it?
2: Exactly. Yeah. So you have an individual variation where, you you know, fair amount of of individuals will freeze and they won't move, but then you have some that will, will move earlier. And that would happen when we were doing our walk-ins because we would, you know, during our five-year study with snowshoe hares, we radio collared hares in the Nolhegan Basin in northeastern Vermont and in the White Mountain National Forest up at high elevations. And there were certain animals either when you trap or that you'd, when you'd radio collar and then you'd go find them again to be able to figure out if they were alive or figure out what habitats they were using. Some would stay, hold tight, exactly like you described, but some would flee much earlier than that. Mm. And that individual variation among populations is really important. Sometimes it's important to to flee, and sometimes it's important to stay right there. And so that individual kind of variation is important for population persistence. Certain traits will benefit a population where other types of traits won't. Uh, But it's important to have the variation of those traits within a population to kind of um, allow for survival in different conditions where certain traits will be more beneficial under certain conditions. So yeah, it was really neat to see that. So exactly what you were describing, you'd have that some would stay, but then some would leave very early and consistently leave yeah. early, you
1: know. Yeah, so. and that, that makes total sense for survival of the population. That Some would hold when it's time to hold, uh, and maybe they're totally camouflaged when other ones with a flea would be seen, and vice versa yeah. when there's no no cover, no snow. It's probably a good idea to run early than hold tight. So huh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Ah, any other interesting facts you, you learned about snowshoe here is like how far they ranged when you were coloring them because that's the, i'm kind of curious
2: yeah absolutely so a lot of the you know work that we're you know working on publishing right now um some of the really interesting things was just just to see these differences between these these pop these population level differences between like the white mountain national forest and the high elevation populations and then these lower ones so a lot of these Lower elevation populations were in areas which had been harvested extensively during the spruce budworm epidemic Mm -hmm. um, or outbreak during the 1970s and 1980s. And as a result of that, there was all this salvage logging and, you know, which is pretty common and was was pretty common in northern New Hampshire and throughout most of northern New England. And as a result of it, all of these forests that were harvested and 15 to 30 years after the harvest, which is optimal, like habitat snowshoe hare habitat you had tons and tons of snowshoe hare habitat real dense spruce fur thickets and that resulted in high populations of snowshoe hare which is why lynx were able to so you know lynx populations are at probably the highest they've ever been in the northeastern united states because of all the harvests that happened in the 70s and 80s and as a result of that you think oh this is great high you know high abundance populations well, it is. I mean, there's a lot of snowshoe hares out there and you're able, able to have these endangered carnivores reestablish some of these areas. But what that means is that you're attracting a lot of predators, right? So you have high density, have a lot of predators. And so we would measure that with our, our study, that comparative study. And then those high elevation populations in the White Mountain National Forest, they haven't been harvested since 1900s. There were fires and there were, there were some harvests in the last ones that occurred during the 1900s. And a lot of those areas have never been harvested before in the White Mountain National Forest. They're just too steep. And so you have these forests that are anywhere from 100 to 300, 400 years old. And so it's very, very similar to what the forests were like maybe pre-Columbian times, where you just have these older, older forests and the most dominant like disturbance regime in these areas is blowdown, right? You just get these blowdowns and maybe every once in a while you get a hurricane that comes through, uh, but you get a lot of ice damage and then you have trees topple over. But what ends up happening is that you have little areas where you have this regrowth. It's enough to sport snowshoe hare, but it's not enough to create these super high density populations. And so what ended up happening is we ca- captured fewer hares in the White Mountain National Forest up in these older growth forests but they'd still be there and you know, we would capture, you know, a lot less and the densities were significantly lower in the white mountains compared to the low elevation harvested, you know, timber harvested areas, but there was a trade-off, right? Because these high, these high density snowshoe hare populations would attract all these predators. And so survival was significantly lower in these areas where there was a lot more snowshoe hares around and also parasitism they are susceptible, doesn't kill them, but they get rabbit ticks. And all of the hares we captured in the high density population at low elevation had every single one of them had rabbit ticks when we captured them all over on their ears during the summertime. Mm-hmm. They don't have them during the winter, but all of the hares at, sh- at, at high elevation, none of them had rabbit ticks on them at all. Only one. And on, during the two years we trapped had one rabbit tick on it and it was the lowest elevation one and they had much higher survival. So there was that trade-off. You could either live in an area that had great resources. You had tons of food, but that means there's going to be more of you. And that means there's going to be more likelihood that you're going to have, you're going to encounter ticks that are going to be on you. And also you're going to be, have a higher likelihood of being killed by a predator compared to this high elevation population. That's not a lot of habitat, but not a lot of snowshoe hares, but those hares that are living there have this advantage where they have much higher survival and they don't have to deal with any ticks. So it was really kind of interesting to see those differences. And their home ranges, this gets back to what you were saying before. Their home ranges were huge at up at high elevation because remember I was saying before that you'd have those blowdown and you have these little patches of what we call rabbitat. Little <laughs> patches of regener- rabbitat, smokes, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So you'd have little little patches, but they were few and far between. So they'd have to travel to these, these patches. And as a result of that, they had some of the largest home ranges documented in Eastern North America. And so that was pretty exciting to see those differences between them. Whereas the ones at lower elevation were kind of your typical average home range in a high density population, you know, which was anywhere from like four to eight hectares or maybe two to four hectares, which was in acreage terms, maybe as what, 10 acres. And so, and there was a lot of overlapping of the of home ranges as well there were a lot of snowshoe hares in one area they were kind of stacked on each other Mm -hmm. so yeah that was i think probably the most exciting you know findings that we had from from the work that we were doing oh
1: very interesting so see people that ever knew that uh, rabbits could be uh so interesting
2: (laughs) yes oh before it i was always kind of interested in and and i would hunt them and and it was enjoyed being out there and watching them and, and eating them and it's kind of funny now, ever since that I've done this project and I've captured them and radio collared and, and actually had some experiences working with them, I am less interested in hunting them because I feel like they're not my pets, but, you know, you just develop this connection with them. And so um, I still go out no-shoe hare hunting and really enjoy it, but it's definitely I don't do it as
1: much as I used to. Right. So. Yeah. You, you've learned to appreciate uh, what they do and how they live. and <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you formed
1: a yeah. connection, Alex, to the,
2: to I know. the, the snowshoe yeah, hair I ruined it. That, that, yeah. that,
1: that, that's excellent. So, well, thank you very much for, uh, that's the nice thing about this Wardens Watch Wild. I learned things on it as well. Everybody always thinks game wardens know everything and uh I, I can always learn too, and for, especially from people like you. I just uh, always enjoyed our talks, and I, I've always been enlightened by all, all my biologist friends. So I'm, I'm really happy that we can bring this forward and uh, teach everybody else about life cycle of the snowshoe hare and the differences, and you know the, the research that you've uh, done and uh, what you've learned because uh, that's that's pretty new in cutting stuff. The, the largest documented ranges in the Northeast that's that's, that's substantial. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Wayne, and I always enjoy chatting with you about this stuff as well. I feel like I've learned a lot more and yeah, it's always, it's always fun. I, I appreciate your questions. They're Great. Always get me thinking. Well, thank you, Alexei. So,
1: Welcome to Warden's Watch Wild, where we talk to wildlife professionals. Brought to you by the Village Gun Store, Whitefield, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch Wild.